Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Somewhere in the Skies podcast is free to listen to every week, but if you would like to help support the show, we have a very active Patreon page where you give what you think the show is worth. In return, you'll get early access to the main show, bonus episodes, and priority to ask our guests your listener questions. Your support truly makes the show continue and grow. So, to learn more and to join, visit patreon.com slash somewhere skies. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Spread. Hey, Ryan. Thanks to you for having me on. I really appreciate you uh, giving me an opportunity to tell my story. Uh, It's funny, I, uh, for years, really didn't have too many people to tell this story to. And then uh, once I was on Unidentified a couple years ago, suddenly everyone wanted to hear about it. So we'll start off with the introductions. My name is David Marceau. I am a senior manager for a major corporation here in the United States. And uh, in 1992, when I was 19 years old, I had a close encounter with UFO. And what I saw wasn't your typical sighting. A lot of UFO sightings seem to be some strange lights in the sky, things that you really can't identify, which is why we call them unidentified flying objects. What I saw wasn't uh, unidentified. I knew right away what I was looking at. It was unmistakable. I was... In the woods, uh, on um, in military service, I was an army reservist, and my unit was uh, doing our annual summer training. We went up to Gagetown, New Brunswick, Canada, and uh, we were an ammo unit. So even though my specialty was not ammunition, everyone had to pull guard duty, and uh, I had to go out at 11 p.m. one night. I believe it was. And this is probably a Tuesday or a Wednesday, the second week of August 1992. And I had to guard an enormous um, pile of ammunition out in the woods. There were uh, three sites, three of us uh, each guarding a, a site. And uh, around 11.20, uh, I looked at about my one o'clock position from where I was sitting. And over the tree line was an enormous spaceship. Uh, I've been criticized uh, online uh, for... Jumping to that conclusion, uh, I think somebody said, uh, immediately saying it must be a spaceship. Uh, 
what are you going to do? I, I, I can't apologize for that. Saying anything that other than it was a, a spaceship uh, would be like looking at a house and saying, well, I don't know, that might be a dog or, you know, looking at a tree and saying it might be a rock. Uh, it was there. It was in front of me. It was uh, less than 100 yards away from me. I was what uh, people have uh, called a trained observer. Luis Elizondo was the first person that that called me that, and I had never heard that term before, but as soon as he said it, uh, that made sense for me. Uh, I actually was trained. At the time, we had uh, these flashcards that were like playing cards, and uh, each of them had a silhouette of an aircraft. It was either... Uh, uh, a NATO or Soviet block aircraft and, and we were taught to identify them by their, their shapes so that if it was dark or they were far away we would know whether to shoot them or not so uh, I knew looking at this thing, you know, it had no wings no tail fin, no uh, propellers no engines, no visible means of propulsion or direction, had no, no markings, no uh, seams or rivets, made no noise uh, interestingly, it made uh, nothing around me made any noise when this thing uh, approached. And uh, for for years, I thought this was because, uh, like the you know the crickets and the tree frogs and the the other uh, you know nighttime critters um, knew something like some kind of instinct, and they were all quiet because there was some danger there. More recently, I've I've come to the conclusion that the the ship may have had some type of noise cancellation technology and that's why everything around me was silent which begs a lot of uh, interesting questions uh maybe you know a lot of people have reported spaceships are silent um and that was true in my case but everything was silent maybe maybe they actually make a lot of noise and and we just don't know it because the the, the sound is canceled out anyway um it was terrifying it was the most traumatic terrifying thing that's ever happened to me and uh, uh, I was um, literally scared stiff. I went into a, a mode like, um, you know, I've done a lot of small game hunting. And, and I remember when my dad was teaching me to hunt, uh, he would, you know, tell me if, if, uh, if we, you know, come up on a pheasant, the pheasant isn't going to fly away until after we've passed it because they know that they, they fly too slowly. And, and uh, if they try to fly out in front of you, then, then they'll they'll get shot but uh they let you go by and then they fly out behind you and then they can they can get away that way and sometimes people even step on them because they're not going to move and, and i was in that mode when this thing was was uh, coming by me it was traveling very slowly probably less than a mile an hour it may have been hovering uh motionless at first uh it's, it's hard to remember but it, this was about a uh, a five-minute encounter when it was very close and a couple more minutes passing uh, uh beyond that that I, that I kept watching it but uh, while it was in my vicinity, I couldn't move. Um, I, I suppose I could have, but I, I, I was trying not to because I didn't want to be seen. At the time, uh, there was no drone technology like we have now. So the thought that the thing might be unmanned was, was not even a possibility. Uh, never never uh, considered it. So I assumed there were some people or creatures inside uh, piloting the thing, and that if I moved, that they would see me and then... You know, all these, uh, every, every science fiction uh, uh, show and movie that I had ever seen started going through my, my head, and, and I thought maybe they'll beam me up, uh, or they'll uh, zap me with a death ray or something, and, and, and that's it, no one will ever know what happened to me, and, and um, you know, they'll tell stories about, I don't, I don't know, the guy just disappeared. All this is going through my head at the time. 
So terrified, uh, not moving, just barely, uh, you know, like moving my eyes and, and my head enough to, to keep the thing in, in, in sight until it was uh, uh, leaving my, my uh, field of vision. And I knew that uh, at that point I had to get up and kind of kind of follow it because I was I was afraid that it might circle back around and come come back over me. Um, so the, the whole encounter lasted about five to seven minutes um, and absolutely terrified. And, and uh, to the extent that... Uh, you know, um, when I finally did start talking about it, you know, initially, it, I, me and, and the other guy that saw it uh, a few sites away, we told everyone in our unit about it, and then we got ridiculed, and, and uh, you know, we were the laughing stock and lost all credibility, so we stopped talking about it. And then after that, I don't think I told anyone for about another at least five years. I think it was it was in the late '90s. I, I remember telling my, my cousin and his wife about it. And at that time, it was it was like I had been transported back to that moment and uh, started. To, I was like reliving the terror of of the incident, and my, my eyes welled up. And I didn't actually shed a tear, but my my eyes were as full of uh, water as as they could be without any any tears actually coming out. And and um, you know because of the ridicule that that I had faced years earlier when this thing happened. Um, I said to my, my cousin's, uh, uh, she was his girlfriend at the time, later his wife, I said, uh, do you believe me? And she says, well, I, I can see, you know, you're, you're visibly, uh, I don't remember how she put it, like shaken or something. But, you know, I had physical symptoms of, of the trauma. Uh, and, and so uh, after that, it was a little bit easier to, to start telling people. I still didn't, like, tell everyone I met because I didn't want people to think I was a weirdo. But... Uh, little by little, I started to let the cat out of the bag. Early on uh, in my relationship with my wife, uh, I let her know about it, and she was cool with it. And uh, it was uh, because it was like sort of an open secret within within my extended family that uh, uh, my sister-in-law ended up sending me the New York Times article about Luis Elizondo and, and uh, everything he was doing with uh, uh, to the Stars Academy that... I, I tracked him down and was able to, to reach out to him and eventually uh, told my story on Unidentified. One thing that, uh, that Luis Elizondo asked me, he said to me, how has this changed you? And I said at the time that this has, the event made me fearless. It's not that it, that it really made me fearless. I feel fear. I don't feel it the way that I would have before this incident. And what I can liken it to is how if uh, if you've ever smoked a cigarette, drank a beer, you know, done various substances, I'm not into all that, but, you know, I, I did smoke for a while. And you know that, like, that first, that first cigarette, that first drink, whatever it is you're having, gets you really, um, really high. And then, you know, you've had more and more and more and more, and after a while, you don't feel it as much. So someone who's been drinking for, you know, 10 years can still get drunk, but not off of one beer, like maybe someone who's had their first beer. And that's that's what fear is like for me now. I still feel it, but not like... It, it, it's, it's not really anything. It doesn't really affect me. Um... I don't really get scared, and it's because I think this this extreme trauma. It was no words can really describe the terror that I felt 
when an alien spaceship was, you know, less than 100 yards from me, traveling very slowly. I'm out in the middle of the woods in who who knows where in, in, uh, in Canada. I'm armed. I had an M16 rifle. This is the old style that fires full auto, but no bullets. There had been an incident a few years back where uh, civilians had uh, stolen some ammunition and uh, some, some uh, uh, soldiers, American soldiers, shot at them. And so this time around, in order to avoid an inter- international incident, they sent us out there with our weapons but no ammunition. It was just a, um, a show. So, you know, I don't know if, if the, the people flying this, uh, this ship, if they uh, could see that I'm armed and, and possibly a threat, but not know that I didn't actually have any ammunition in the weapon, so I really wasn't a threat. Uh, so it was, it was extraordinarily terrifying. It felt like a sitting duck. And that, uh, that changed me. So that uh, there's really nothing that shakes me these days. So that's my story. I, um, there's a lot more that I can tell. Uh, there's so many little details and I've tried writing it down a few times and, you know, it's, it's like it was a five to seven minute encounter, but I could fill a whole, you know, I could fill hundreds of pages with it. Someday I'll, I will, I'll write it all down. But, uh, yeah, that's my story. I'm sticking with it. And, uh, I'm Dave Marceau. Thanks for listening. Hey Ryan. My name is Josh, and I would like to share an experience that I had. The experience was on Saturday, July 11th, 2020, here in Las Vegas. I'm a Vegas resident, and it happened on East Russell Road near the Sam Boyd Football Stadium. I was walking down Russell Road at about maybe 7.45, 8 o'clock p.m., and as I was walking, I just happened to look up, as I always do, searching for things. And as soon as I popped my head up, I noticed a cylinder in the sky. If I had to estimate, it would probably be at about maybe five, 6,000 feet. I could be wrong. But it was a cylinder with the front portion of it being black and the, the second portion of it being gray, more of a gunmetal color. And it was flying straight up at a good clip, and then it stopped made a right turn and probably flew another, I would say maybe two, 300 feet and it stopped again. And then it either disappeared or it shot off instantaneously because it was gone. There was a cloud of smoke and the object was gone. So that just blew my mind. It lasted probably less than five seconds and it left me with a feeling of disbelief, of extreme curiosity and of, uh, of, of wonder just to what it was. It didn't seem like a conventional craft. It didn't seem like a man-made craft, but it could be. It could be something else too. So that was the beginning. And I kept walking down Russell Road and I got to the end. And this, by this time it was about 8.11, maybe quarter after 8 p.m. And it was still light out. And I noticed above the stadium, this bright pink object that was shaped like a square, maybe a rectangle, but it was not aerodynamic. And it shot straight up in the air from behind the stadium to about maybe 1,000, 2,000 feet. And it started making enormous vertical circles 
and horizontal circles in the sky. It was going really fast. And I don't know how it was flying. It didn't have wings. It didn't, from my perspective, didn't have any means of propulsion. And it looked like a square, like a, a block of some sort. And it just kept making these circles. I watched it and recorded it for about maybe two or three minutes. And then as I was recording it, I look off behind the stadium near what I believe is Sunrise Mountain. And I noticed a bunch of sirens and lights coming towards the stadium. So I wasn't sure what that was and what was going on. But I stopped recording and kind of made my way out of there. I wasn't sure what was going to happen, if it's something I should see or something I shouldn't have seen. So I didn't want to be any part of it. And I just ended up going home. Uh, Actually, I went to a friend's house. As far as the way it made me feel, again, it was just utter disbelief. Checking my head to see if I really saw that. Um, What I think it was, I, I honestly don't know. I don't know what either of the objects were. My best guess is something top secret man-made or something not of this world where do i stand today i stand by my feelings i still don't know what it was and you know we could have come so far in our progress with aerospace technology that it could be something man-made but it could certainly be something else as well and uh, it was just a really exciting day for me um i've had another sighting a pretty cool one since then which i would be happy to share again at another time Uh, It was investigated by MUFON recently, and the results were pretty cool. It was on September 14th at 4.55 a.m. here in Las Vegas. This would be West Russell Road this time, as I was walking west to the gym to get an early morning workout. And I noticed a bright light in the sky that was situated roughly right above Nellis Air Force Base. And the thing that stood out to me was that it was not moving, or at least it did not appear to be moving. It certainly wasn't moving left or right, and it wasn't growing in size or shrinking, so I didn't think it was moving towards me or away from me. And I watched it for about 7 to 10 minutes, and it just sat there, pulsing. It appeared to be an orange sphere. Uh, I guess we could call it an orb. Very large. And it was just sitting there hanging in the air above the air force base for about seven to ten minutes and i kept watching it i recorded it and at the end of the time frame it went from a pulsing orb to two very small blinking lights in an instant it just transformed and then it started very slowly moving away to the west and it just glided off over the horizon very slowly and I watched it the entire time but it remained stationary for about 7 to 10 minutes and I couldn't hear a sound from it although it was far away so it could have been making a sound but I didn't hear anything directly coming from it and the interesting thing is the very next two days I had the exact same sighting of the exact same object just in slightly different locations with the exact same characteristics what do I think it was? Um, It could be something man-made, perhaps some type of helicopter or hover jet that was able to silently remain stationary for an extended period of time. It could certainly be something else, too. 
And I sent this sighting into MUFON in the video. And they recently had an investigator contact me. And he was able to use radar data, uh, flight scheduling, flight data. And his conclusion was that it was an airplane. And that it was flying towards me. That's why it did not appear to be moving. Um, I'm not sure if I agree with that because the size of the, the light did not change at all. But I don't have a very well um, extended knowledge of, of flight characteristics. So I could be wrong. But the cool thing was... Even though it was a plane, the investigator told me that the only plane that was in the air at that time, at that location, going that direction, was a Janet flight going to Area 51 from McCarran. So, even if it was an alien, it was still something cool, and I just wanted to share that. I wish you a good day. Thank you, my friend. Bye-bye. Hi Ryan and all the listeners out there in the Somewhere in the Skies podcast um, Firstly, just thanks for the opportunity to share my experience And uh, also a big warm welcome to Scotland, Ryan I know you've just moved here from across the pond So I hope you, you enjoy your stay here and enjoy living in damp, wet old Scotland Anyway, so my name's John I am 41 years old I have a wife and three children And... I live in Kipfield Bank, which is a small semi-rural village on the southern fringe of the central belt of Scotland. Um, I work full-time as a prison officer, or in the States you would probably refer to them as corrections officers. Um, so I've worked in the prison service for just coming up for 14 years. So my experience um, happened on the 22nd of October in 2017. Uh, if memory serves, that would be just before the big uh, New York Times article that really triggered off a lot of the stuff that's been happening over the last few years. Um, it was roughly nine o'clock at night. I had been in my garage, um, which I use as a sort of man cave type area, do some of my hobbies in there, keep my dive kit in there and repair that and build models and stuff, just bloke things to do. Anyway, um so I was closing up at night and I was heading back into the house I collected a few items to take into the house that I didn't want to leave in the garage overnight um, ironically I actually included my Nikon uh, DSLR it was slung over my shoulder at the time um, so before leaving the garage the reason I know it was 9 o'clock is because I'd actually just looked up at the clock um, thought right I better go into the house get organised for work in the morning um, so I pulled down the shutter of the garage collect, you know after collecting my stuff, walked towards up the driveway towards the house and uh, just having a quick look at my phone and I looked up and my attention was was drawn to what I could only describe as two warm white lights. Uh, I say warm white as in like incandescent lights rather than that sort of bright white LED. Um, so two circular white lights um, sitting you know, right next to one another um, on a sort of horizontal plane if that makes any sense kind of describe it as like a figure of eight on its side that's kind of really how it looked um, I could only describe these things as travelling at breakneck speed you know, it was really moving across the sky the whole encounter only lasted you know, a short amount of time a few seconds probably um, they were moving at a low altitude um, 
so it, it drew my attention right away because you know I, I like to look up at the sky and you know admire what's happening in the, in the skies above at night time we have a where I live we have a fairly decent view of the sky there's not a great deal of um, light pollution so you can you know, see a fair, fair few constellations um, that night actually I remember seeing a, a satellite you know, on the way out to the garage that night, as I say, I like to have a wee look up, and uh, I remember seeing a satellite. Um, it's not uncommon to see things like that where, where I live. Um, but this really drew my attention. Um, but as I say, it was rocking across the sky. And I don't know why, but I felt goosebumps. And a sort of shiver up your spine. Just something about it didn't sit right. Now, eh... Uh, if I was a wee kid, um, you know, we used to go on holiday in the north of Scotland, um, pretty close to an Air Force base called RAF Lossiemouth, um, and just not far along the road there was another air base which is now uh, shut down now, I think it's an army base now, uh, RAF can loss, uh, Lossiemouth had, uh, fast, still does have uh, fast jets stationed there, it's the... Eurofighter Typhoon now, but back in the day it was the, the old tornadoes. Um, so I've seen lots of low flying fighter jets, you know. In terms of its speed, that's what this thing looked like. It was moving, but there was no sound. It was a straight trajectory, it wasn't art, you know. It was, so it was flying straight level. The forward of the two lights was, was pulsing. The other one was what you would describe as a solid on all the time light. But then as it moved across from my, from my perspective, perspective, it was going from the right to the left. And the first, the one at the, the leading light, I suppose, uh, was pulsating and very quickly faded and never saw that again. But the, the, the tailing light, if you like, was still there. Um, for a few short seconds and then that just faded out as well and as far as the, the whole encounter goes that's it um, so it was travelling above the, the field just beyond my house um, maybe I don't know 200 metres away roughly was what I estimated it at the time um, aircraft fly over my house all the time so we're, we're probably roughly halfway between Glasgow and Edinburgh probably slightly closer to Glasgow actually but you know so both of those big cities have airports and so aircraft fly over the house all the time particularly on route to Glasgow but you can see aircraft you know heading to, to Edinburgh as well in the opposite direction normally at that height you will hear the aircraft engines pretty loud um, but they're, they're normally substantially more higher in the sky uh, than this object was um, but it was silent and I mean eerily silent, it was a still night there wasn't any wind whatsoever or you know, very very little certainly it was quite a clear night there wasn't any adverse sort of weather patterns or anything then at the time, it was just quite a still calm you know, autumn evening but this thing was just there was no sound whatsoever um, I stood for a few minutes after the, the, the lights faded um, just kind of try to gather my thoughts and, and I was figuring out what did I just see or what did I just witness and I considered all sorts of possibilities aircraft, helicopters um, at that time of year it was um, pretty close to the 5th of November where people uh, celebrate uh, Guy Fawkes night so you know there's usually lots of fireworks and stuff going on but this wasn't a firework because there was no there was, as I say there was no sound there was no contrail 
um, you know, like if a, you know, a firework goes off, you know, there's usually some sort of trailer sort of sparks and stuff behind it. There was none of that. Um, it just faded out. There wasn't a bang. There wasn't a pop that you would normally associate with these um, airborne pyrotechnics. It was a steady horizontal course. There was no fluctuations, as I said before. There was no arcing at all. There is a road nearby. Um, so I also considered that could it have been car lights. But in the direction that it was heading, it would have to be heading up the hill, uh, in which case then you would see the red tail lights of the car as opposed to the, the white lights. Um, but it was also not following the track of the road because, as I say, you know, I do live here, so I know what direction the the, the cars would be going in and stuff. Um, it was interesting as well that the object just faded. You know, there was a pulse and it faded rather than just blinked out. Um, and as I say, the, 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 the trailing light also done the same a short time thereafter, even though that wasn't pulsing. I did consider the possibility of drone. Um, but again, when I think about the speed... I don't know, it just, it was too quick. It was really, really fast. As I said, um, you know, I've had experience watching fast jets, you know, manoeuvre and practice and stuff uh, in the north of Scotland. I don't think drones can, can move at that, that rate of knots. And again, it felt, although it was dark, and I know that your perspective can be altered and, and the darkness is different, but more difficult to judge distances and stuff, and I get that. But I, I, it felt fairly close, uh, and you would like to think that the, you know there would be some sound coming from that as well. Um, after a minute or two, I came into the house and I actually told my wife about it, um, who was a bit sort of nonchalant, really. She's not a believer or a you know anybody that's interested in in this sort of field. Um, spoke to my dad, who was quite interested in the story, and I was like, mm, okay, yeah, that's, that's interesting, that's fair enough. Um, but it's not really anything I've really spoke about since to that many people, other than a few close friends. I did a Google search when I came into the house as well. I, I felt really, not shaken, but just something didn't sit right, you know. Um, so I did a Google search, and I found a website called Beams. I believe it's some uh, research organisation um, probably on a smaller level but similar to MUFON I would imagine, but at this point in time I'd never heard of MUFON or any of these organisations, um, but when I went on this organisation's website there was a, a sighting listed that had a small picture attached and it was so eerie when I seen it because it just pretty much looked identical to the object I'd just seen, somebody from Devon in a, South England had managed to photograph this object and it was described as two cells dividing you know if you ever see biology videos or you know, images in biology textbooks and you look at cell division that's that's what this thing looked like and the lights themselves weren't solid the, it was almost like they had a nucleus at the centre with a glow sort of on the outside it was still bright in the centre but there was a sort of darker spot in the middle of it um, on both lights um, I don't know if these were two objects or one object or I, ju I just don't know I don't know what I do know is, is it's not an aeroplane it's not a helicopter I've no idea it was a strange strange experience and I think about it 
most days um, usually when I'm popping out to the garage um, to do a couple of jobs or to you know do some washing or you know take, take the, the, the stuff out to the tumble dryer that we keep out there or whatever I'm doing or even if I'm popping out to the car to collect a few bits and bobs I always look up at that same spot and think back to that night and it still stumps me as to what it is um, the report or restatement that I wrote myself at the time, you know, I jotted all these notes down um, and I entitled it Unidentified Low Flying Lights. I'm not saying this is little green men from Mars or transdimensional uh, entities or anything like that, but I cannot explain what this is. It really made me feel not uncomfortable, but it made me feel strange. As I said, I don't know if you noticed at the start, but actually I had my camera, I had a DSLR camera slung over my shoulder. I had my mobile phone in my hand and the thought did not occur to me to take a photograph. I was just transfixed on this object. I don't even think I would have had enough time to get a shot off, but one of the most strangest experiences of my entire life. Um, And as I say, I still think about it to this day and wonder... What did I see in the sky? Thank you. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, Ryan. It's your friend Kelly from the UFO Rabbit Hole. Thank you so much for inviting me to share my story with you and the Somewhere in the Skies audience. 
So, I saw a UFO when I was 13 years old. I was on vacation with my family at the Outer Banks in North Carolina in a little town called Avon, just north of Hatteras. We went there almost every summer, and one of my favorite things to do at night was to sit outside and watch the stars. Having grown up in the suburbs where the sky is always a dull shade of orange and the stars are few and far between, the spectacle of a truly dark night sky filled with thousands of stars was something I couldn't resist. I found myself out on the deck most nights looking up at the stars in awe. One particular night, I was out on the deck in my usual stargazing routine when I had the strangest thought go through my head. What if I see a UFO? It was a very strange thought. UFOs weren't something that I ever really thought about. And yet, suddenly, I felt a very strong urge to scan the skies, looking for something that I wasn't sure that I even really believed existed. And as soon as I did so, I saw a light moving across the sky. It was a small, bright, clear light that seemed to be moving a little too swiftly to be a plane. And as soon as I locked my eyes onto it, it took a hard 90-degree turn and then another before accelerating instantaneously and streaking off past the horizon like a meteor. I remember being absolutely electrified by what I saw. I felt like I was going to crawl out of my skin. I didn't know what I had seen exactly, but I knew that it moved like nothing else that I'd ever seen. Even at 13, I knew instinctively that the physics of it all just stretched the boundaries of all reason. And yet, I knew what I had seen. I ran into the house to tell my family, but they laughed at me and accused me of making up stories. And to be honest, there was a part of me that wondered if maybe I had imagined the whole thing. I mean, how could it be possible that I just happened to see something so strange and seemingly impossible literally a second after having this strange thought that I might see a UFO? Was I fooling myself? I had a pretty active imagination as a kid, but I never had any trouble differentiating my flights of fancy from actual reality. And yet, when everyone else thinks that you're making it up, at a certain point, it becomes easier to place that doubt with yourself. I didn't think about the UFO much after that, probably not even once a year, but every long once in a while, I would remember that night and wonder what it was that I had seen. It wasn't until the spring of 2021, when I returned to the Outer Banks with my family, that this story suddenly became top of mind for me again. I had been half paying attention to the occasional news story that I came across that talked about how the government had admitted that UFOs are real and that we don't know what they are. Each time I came across a story like that, it made me think of what I had seen when I was 13, and a little part of me wondered if I might have actually seen a UFO. And so, when my family decided to return to the Outer Banks for vacation, it felt like the perfect time to dive back into the subject and figure out what was going on. I had a whole week with nothing to do but kill time reading on the beach, and I thought that given that time to focus, I'd be able to get to the bottom of what was really going on pretty quickly, mostly because I didn't really believe at that point that UFOs were real. I mean, sure, the government was saying that UFOs are real, but the government says a lot of things. I figured this had to be some kind of a play to get a rubber stamp for black budget spending, or maybe it was secret foreign tech. I wasn't sure what was going on exactly, but I was sure that it had to have some kind of a rational explanation. However, instead of a neat and tidy explanation, what I discovered was a deep and labyrinthian rabbit hole where each new mystery once examined gave way to an even deeper one and whose tendrils seemed to be entwined through every academic discipline and sphere of life. There were no easy answers, only a bottomless well of questions. I was utterly fascinated and completely hooked. The UFO Rabbit Hole podcast was born of that obsession. 
and of a life-changing anomalous experience that I had a few months later, but I don't want to get bogged down there. I told that story in episode 294 of Somewhere in the Skies if you're interested in hearing about it. So fast forward a year to the summer of 2022. I'd been working on the podcast for the past nine months and was finding myself deeper and deeper in the world of UFOs. I ended up taking a class from one of my favorite authors on the subject, Dr. Diana Walsh Pasulka. She wrote a book called American Cosmic that made a huge impact on me and my understanding of the phenomenon, and so I was very excited to learn from her. And I did learn so much in Diana's class, and one of the most profound things that I learned was about the process of redaction that occurs when someone has an anomalous experience like a UFO sighting. The stigma associated with such events, often paired with serious doubts or outright disbelief that such things are even possible, can cause people to change how they tell the story of what happened to them, even to themselves. And as I learned about how this redaction process unfolds, I had a startling realization. My UFO sighting at the Outer Banks when I was 13 wasn't the only sighting that I've had. In fact, I had a much more profound sighting in a park outside of Akron, Ohio in broad daylight when I was 21. Let me tell that story and then I'll explain how I think it is that I came to forget something that was so extraordinary. So it was a spring day in April of 2007. I'd been going through a tough time and a friend invited me to a local metro park. The plan was for us to hang out in the woods and do LSD. I'd never done it before and to be honest, I had no real idea of what I was getting myself into. We each did one hit and then sat on the top of this hill overlooking a pond surrounded by trees. After a while, the visuals started kicking in. It wasn't anything major, but for a first-timer, it was thrilling. I remember looking at the twisting yellow-green grass of early spring and thinking that I understood now what Van Gogh must have seen. We sat there talking, having that kind of sweeping cerebral conversation that flows from such a state. It was a very pleasant and mellow experience. But at one point during this conversation, something seemed to appear above the tree line. I remember both of us being startled by it because although it was very large and only a couple hundred feet above the tree line, it truly seemed to come out of nowhere. We'd both been staring in that direction, but we never saw it approach. It was just there, as though it had emerged from a hole in the sky itself that we couldn't see. At first, I thought it was the Goodyear blimp. Akron, Ohio is the home of the Goodyear blimp, and so seeing it floating overhead was a pretty common occurrence. And this did remind me of the blimp in some ways. It was of a similar size, though this was slightly bigger than the blimp, and the way that it seemed to float slowly and stoically across the sky reminded me of how the blimp moves. But that's where the similarities ended. Whatever this was, was a deep brown color and more oblong in shape than a blimp, what many would call cigar-shaped. Any other details are impossible to give. Although the object had a distinct size and shape, it also somehow felt like it didn't have any discrete edges. It was hard to look at, almost like it was blurry. I just kept rubbing my eyes, trying to get the image to resolve into something familiar. But all I saw was this long brown smudge moving slowly across the sky. It made me weirdly uncomfortable, and I actually felt like I wanted to look away from it. And then, as quickly as it was there, it was gone. It traveled maybe a few hundred yards across the sky over the tree line and then disappeared as strangely as it appeared, as if into an unseen hole in the air itself. My friend definitely saw it too, and we kept asking each other, what was that? And even though we agreed that it didn't look anything like the blimp, we also ultimately agreed that it had to be the blimp. I mean, after all, what else could it have been? 
And we were, quite literally, tripping. So that must be it, right? What I'd thought I'd seen was impossible, so the only explanation was that I hadn't seen it. And so I simply put it out of my mind. But how does that happen? I'll admit that even having experienced this whole thing for myself, it was still very strange and unsettling for me to realize that I could just forget something like that and continue to not remember it even when I was spending every spare second of my day immersed in the study of the phenomenon. I was thinking about UFOs literally all of the time, so how could I have forgotten what I'd seen? Forgetting actually isn't even the right word, because it's not like this memory was blocked or suppressed exactly. I think that does happen to people, but it didn't feel like that was what happened to me. Rather, this felt more like a categorization error of some kind in my brain. It's like that memory was a file in my brain, and because I had never named that file UFO sighting, when I searched for UFO sightings in my brain, that experience didn't pop up. I hadn't built any connections in my brain between that experience and a UFO sighting, and so for me, those connections simply didn't exist. And I think there are a few reasons for why that happened, all of which I suspect are pretty common among people who have these types of experiences. First of all, I didn't think of what I saw as a UFO because it didn't look like what I thought a UFO was supposed to look like. As someone who, at that point in my life, didn't have even a casual interest in UFOs, my main conception of the phenomenon was what I saw in the media. To me, a UFO was a flying saucer, an actual, solid, technological craft piloted by aliens from another planet. And that's just not what this looked like at all. I couldn't really tell what it was, and even though it reminded me vaguely of a blimp, its weird blurry appearance didn't look like any kind of craft that I'd ever seen, so I didn't necessarily think that it was a craft. What I saw defied categorization, and so my brain simply failed to categorize it. The second reason for this categorization error was the fact that we were on LSD. Like I said, that was my first time that I'd ever done LSD, and I didn't really know anything about what that experience was supposed to be like. I'd heard that LSD made you see things, so I assumed that that was what it had done. However, looking back more than 15 years later, and with a considerable amount of experience in psychedelics under my belt, I look at this experience differently. For me, LSD can dramatically change the quality of what I'm looking at. Things can seem to look alive at a molecular level. Colors and textures are more profound. But I've never had an experience on LSD where I saw something that wasn't there, particularly something that another person also can see. That doesn't mean that I have entirely ruled out that what we saw was just a weird shared visual experience as a result of being chemically altered. It could be. It's just that given my other experiences, it seems unlikely. It also changed my perspective to understand that many people who research psychical phenomena and contact experiences see psychedelics as a legitimate contact modality that can allow people to perceive things that tap into abilities that they otherwise wouldn't have access to. We're still learning about what psychedelics do to the brain, but despite the traditional view that they increase activity in the brain, the latest research suggests that psychedelics significantly disrupt normal neural activity and quiet the brain. Could this allow your conscious mind to pick up on things that it otherwise would filter out? It's too early to know for sure, but it's certainly possible. And there was a final reason that I managed to forget about this experience, and it's because, frankly, I doubted my own mental state. 
In the spring of 2007, I was coming out on the other end of what I sincerely hope will end up being the worst year of my life. My father had been diagnosed with a rare and aggressive form of cancer and passed away suddenly, leaving my family devastated. A few days after the funeral, my fiancé cheated on me and abruptly ended our relationship. And then, after months of licking my wounds, I went out on my first date as a single woman with a charming PhD candidate that my friends introduced me to, and he ended up drugging and raping me. I apologize for bringing down the room with all of that. But for the purposes of this conversation, I think it's actually really important to make clear the level of trauma that I was processing at the time. The thing about processing trauma and grief is that it can make you doubt yourself on the most fundamental level. For me, I think it was easier to believe that the tragedies that had befallen me were somehow my fault than it was to deal with what felt like the utter randomness of the universe and its seeming indifference to suffering. At least if it was my fault, then I had some level of control. And hypothetically, if I could fix the things that were wrong with me that caused these things to happen, then I could stop them from happening again. It doesn't make a lot of rational sense, but it's the kind of Faustian bargain that people deep in grief make all the time. But instead of saving yourself, you end up poisoning yourself with endless self-recriminations. And that's where I was on that spring day in 2007. Heartbroken, beaten down, and filled with a deep self-loathing. I didn't trust myself or my perceptions of reality, and I felt awash in a sea of cognitive dissonance. So when I saw something that I didn't think I could possibly have seen, it had never been easier to doubt myself. I just assumed I was wrong. And the reason I bring this up is because as I've spent more time diving into the experience or literature, it's clear that trauma, like psychedelics, might at times provide a window into experiences and perceptions that we wouldn't normally have. No one knows why this is exactly. Perhaps it's just that the psychologically destabilizing impact of these events allows things to get through your filters that normally wouldn't. Again, we don't know. But I wanted to share my story because I don't think it's unusual. I wasn't the only person in Dr. Pasolka's class who uncovered anomalous experiences in their past that had been redacted and pruned past the point of all recognition. But once you understand how this process of redaction works and the motives that underlie the personal misreporting of our own experiences, it becomes a very simple task to excavate those experiences and reintegrate them back into the fabric of your life. Which, to be clear, is not the same thing as finding answers. I still have no idea what I saw at the beach that night when I was 13, and I feel like I have even less of a sense of what I saw at the park when I was 21, and I may never know. But I am grateful for the fullness of life that is available on the other side of redaction. Instead of forcibly amputating the experiences that I can't explain, I'm able to make room for them. Allowing for mystery to exist and carving out a place in my psyche for the unknowable has brought a sense of depth, meaning, and awe back into my life that I thought I'd lost in childhood. And best of all, I'm no longer at war with myself or my memories. And in re-establishing that trust with myself, I have found a great deal of peace. Thank you so much for the opportunity to tell my story, and thank you for listening. Hello, Ryan. How are you doing? Um, this is Terry Natras. I'd just like to tell you about my experience way back in 1978. I was 28 years old then, I'm 72 now. And uh, it was Sunday the 25th of June, 1978. 
I was starting to pack my gear to go fishing. I was running a bit late to catch the turn of the tide at noon that day. The weather was fine, clear blue sky, not a cloud in sight. Uh, I've been a keen photographer for many years and nearly always carried a camera with me at weekends. I placed my camera in the bag as usual, but I had second thoughts and I put it back in the cupboard. That was probably the biggest mistake I've ever made in my life. I was travelling north on the A189 from Cramlington to Limemouth Power Station where near the beach where I always used to fish there and I spotted an unusual object just above the horizon to the left of the road. At first I thought it was an air balloon being sort of a zeppelin shape until I caught a better view of it if it's uh, about a mile further down the road. Uh, I pulled up in a layby, got out of the car, studied the object for about a minute and I realised it was moving to the left, which was west, but very slowly. And it was just about five or ten degrees above the horizon. I then considered it may not be a balloon due, due to the strange coloured swirl of light it was emitting. And um, it was, I can only describe it as sort of a liquidy gas, which seemed to be covering this perfect symmetrical um, shape, sort of a cigar shape. I got back in the car and drove further up the road, about another three miles, until I came into view again. Um, I stopped, got out of the car again, which I noticed it was sort of diminishing in size, and I realised it was actually turning around, and I watched this object do a complete 180 degree turn, which took about 45 seconds, then it started moving to the right, which is east, towards the sea. Um, when, it, when I viewed it end on, it was difficult to make out an exact shape but it seemed to resemble the, the rear of a submarine and as it was turning end on the swirling coloured substance was covering the object which seemed to indicate it had some, some sort of screen over its entire surface but not but still maintaining its perfect shape. I had now come to the conclusion that it, would, it wasn't a balloon anything I'd seen before I also rule out the possibility it could have been a gas cloud or sort of the fact that the movements were in a controlled manner, really. I decided to race up the motorway towards the power station and pulled up next to the gates where I usually park the car. This was another four to five miles on. The object was in and out of view on the way. But by the time I arrived at the power station, I must have turned around again and it was now heading west. It was obviously much closer to the object that I was much closer to the object bef- than before, and it was huge. It was moving behind a pylon, so I had a, had, I had a, a scale of distance I could uh, determine how far away it was, and it must have been less than half a mile from me. I stood and watched the object for about five minutes as it slowly went out of view. The swelling substance was like a um, difficult to describe, but it was. Um, Nearest description, I would say, condensed light of blue, orange, and yellow mixed together in a swirly mass of energy. Um, it seemed to be covering this perfect cigar shape. There was no sound. Um, the whole sighting from start to finish was about 15 to 20 minutes. And there was no, more, no one around but myself because it was a very quiet Sunday uh, lunchtime. And, and the fact that I had left my camera at home was frustrating to say the least couldn't do anything more other than watch it just uh, float away in the distance um, silently. So I decided to go 
down to the beach, about 100 uh, yards away from where I parked the car, and um, there was one solitary fisherman down there. I set the rod up and cast off and um, sort of tried to get him into my confidence by walking over and chatting with him, and then I asked him, had he seen anything in the sky? And he says, no, no, he says, have you seen a UFO? And I said, well, I think I have. The guy told me his uh, brother-in-law worked at RAF Boomer, which is close by, and um, told him that there was a, there's been a few sightings of recent. Um, we were talking for about five, ten minutes, then I looked up in the sky to see if there was anything uh, about, nothing was about, but what I did notice was there was quite a few light aircraft circling the area. Uh, I would say quite dangerously, because uh, they shouldn't be that close to each other. And basically it was, uh, you know, I was the only witness to this uh, incident, but uh, it's it's been haunting me ever since, and uh, I thought I'd better get it on record and tell the story. It was, it was printed in um, UFO magazine uh, in 2002, though I did say it was uh, Sunday... The 25th of July, but it wasn't. It was actually June. Bear in mind, it was 24, 25 years later, uh, and I just I, apparently I got that month wrong, but I couldn't change it uh, for the article. And that's it, basically. And thanks for listening. Cheers. Hey Ryan, this is Mike Cleland, and I have been wanting to share a story with you for your witness accounts program, which I think is a really valuable. Show. I think when you do the witness accounts, I think it really provides a wonderful, like almost a service to the UFO community to get this raw data, just people simply talking about their sightings firsthand. I think it's really important, and I'm, I'm grateful you're doing this. And it makes for a really engaging show. I really get excited when those shows come up on my podcast feed. Um, full disclosure here, I have been doing UFO research on my own. I've written a few books, and I have also been a guest on your show, Ryan. So I just want people to know that up front. I had a very strange sighting along with my partner at the time, my partner Andrea, who you have met. And telling this story, I think like 90% of it is going to be trying to describe how weird the thing we saw was. Now, I was with Andrea, and it was on Thursday, April 25th, of 2019, and this would have been about 6.30 p.m. when we saw this. Andrea and I were driving from upstate New York to a very small UFO conference that was taking place just outside of Providence, Rhode Island, in a small suburb of Providence called Warwick. And we were on our way to stay with our friends Suzanne and Jack. And Suzanne and Jack are both experiencers too, as is Andrea. So Andrea and I both have had powerful experiences, seemingly UFO contact experiences. So we're driving. The sun is still up, but it's getting to be sunset. It's getting to be just as twilight is arriving. And we're driving towards Providence from the north, so we're heading almost due south. I think it's roughly southeast on Highway 146. And this is kind of a twisty, turny road that goes from Massachusetts into Rhode Island. Now, Rhode Island's very small, so this highway, there's not much of it in that very small state. So there's really only, you know, 
a dozen miles or so. Now, I was driving, and Andrea was sitting next to me, and it was an overcast day, and it was getting to be twilight, so the cloud cover was kind of gray on gray, and it wasn't very... It was. It just had that indistinct kind of cloud cover. And this road is twisty-turny, so we're kind of turning one direction, and there's trees right and left of the road, so we don't have a wide view of the sky at all times. But we come around a corner, and we both say the same thing. She and I both saw it at the same time, and, and we both said, what is that? And it looked like... At first, it, it caught our eye because, it, I mean, it could have been like... It was roughly the same color as the darkest shadow of a cloud, but a little bit darker. So there was an unusually dark form in the sky. And I remember saying, that's too dark to be some weird little cloud. And she agreed. Now, describing this is going to be tough because it did seem to, I will say, morph a little bit. My first thought was that it was like a partially inflated giant mylar balloon. It had this kind of thin, irregular quality to it. So it wasn't like a distinct metal craft in the sky. It was kind of indistinct. And honestly, it didn't look like much more than a potato chip in its shape, right? Sort of curved, kind of lumpy. And and it was rotating. Now, it was rotating very smoothly. And this was a little problematic. I was driving. I was trying to keep an eye on it. Andrea was trying to get a picture of it. So she was fumbling with her camera. She never got a picture of it. Um, though we did get some good pictures of the highway, and you can see the cloud cover very clearly. And this potato chip shape was kind of twisting. And and Andrea was saying it's blinking out. And I was like, no, no, it's just twisting out of... It's just twisting to... We're seeing its thinnest edge. And we both talked about this in the moment. Now, so just... Just try to picture this. Imagine taking, like, a business card and holding it between your fingers, right? So you're looking at it head-on, and you see a big rectangle, right? And then you turn it to the side, and when it's as thin as the piece of paper, right? So you're looking at the edge. If it was, let's say, a white business card on a white sunny day, and you are out on the beach, let's say, at a certain point, it would be technically invisible if you were looking right at its thinnest edge, and then it would essentially reappear if you kept on twisting it into into form again. That was the sense I got. It was like a potato chip shaped thing, very very thin, that was rotating, and it would it would skip out of view when we saw it along its thinnest edge. So this dark steel gray, whatever it was, would twist out and be out of phase. There's a very strange aspect to this, too, which which Andrea and I both saw and both talked about. This thing was in the sky, low enough that it was below the cloud cover, yet high enough that it was. it seemed pretty far away. It seemed like we were looking at something rather large that was a big distance away. And, this is tough to say, if I drew this, which I, I did a little Photoshop recreation and I put it on my blog... In drawing this, right, so I have this little curved sort of potato chip piece of slate gray floating in the air, and then about three times the length of the potato chip above that, stationary, was a tiny 
singular dot. I am talking about barely perceptible, essentially like a period, a single little dot directly in line above this. And I I don't know any other way to explain it. It looked like the sky was a giant Bolton board and there was a pin in the Bolton board and that's what we were seeing, like the little teeny push pin that all we could see was a little dot and then this potato chip was hanging by a piece of fishing line, essentially an invisible piece of fishing line. So that was the illusion it created. A single push pin in the sky with a single thread of fishing line holding this twisting potato chip. Now, to make things stranger, we were approaching Providence, and that meant approaching the airport. And and we were seeing big commercial aircraft crossing the highway, like low across the highway. And so if this was some sort of like weather balloon or some sort of um, radio reflecting surface or something like that that was held aloft in a balloon form the last place on earth you would want to put this is directly, seemingly directly in the path of incoming flights that were going into the Providence airport. So we were seeing this at the exact same time we were seeing airplane traffic crossing the highway, coming in for a landing. So as as we looked at this thing, we were on the highway, kind of driving twisty-turny, and, and we'd go around a corner and we'd lose sight of it, and then we'd come back around another corner, and we, there it would be again. And it went from a potato chip to a credit card. So instead of a credit card, which is a nice rectangle, it was a little more rounded and indistinct like a potato chip. But wow, was it a very strange thing. And, and both of us were, were absolutely perplexed. I, I, I feel strongly that if this had been some sort of mylar balloon, we would have we would have recognized it as a mylar balloon. But both of us were really surprised at the strangeness of this. Now, if I had to guess the size of it, I would say that this thing was much larger than, let's say, a billboard on the side of a highway. I mean, it was much larger. I'm saying three or four, five times larger than a billboard on the highway. That's the only thing I can equate as being similar because it it felt almost rather two-dimensional at times. So it had that kind of billboard flat quality to it. Okay, so now if anyone out there knows of some sort of, like, I don't know, some sort of mylar balloon reflective surface that, that would appear this way in the sky, please, please tell me. I'm, I'm totally open to this being something other than what it appeared to be, which was something very strange. And I will cautiously say something paranormal, but... I, I I simply have never heard a report like this before. I'd never seen anything like this before. And it it confounded both of us in its strangeness. And when I did the blog post and did create the Photoshop images, and what I did is took the photos that Andrea had of the highway, so I have an accurate shot of the highway, and then I tried to create the the shape in the sky with the little dot above it, and um, it was clearly done with Photoshop, and I clearly labeled the photos as being done in Photoshop. And it was funny. I put these on, I, I wrote up a short little report and put these images on Facebook. And uh, a lot of people chimed in without having done much more than give a cursory glance at the image and saying, this is nothing but a Photoshop image. 
And yes, of course. I mean, it was like my drawing of what I saw. So yes, it was a Photoshop image. Thank you for letting me share this long and somewhat unresolved story. Love the show. And I am wishing you and Jane the greatest success in Scotland, the land of my ancestry. Bye now. Somewhere in the Skies is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.